We'll turn, if you would, tonight to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, it is good to be in your house tonight. Lord, we're thankful that it can be well with our soul. We're thankful, Lord, for the blood that you were willing to shed on our behalf so that that could be so. God, I pray that you'd use this message tonight to speak to our hearts, to challenge us. And God, I pray that you'd help us to be real and sincere and honest before you tonight. And I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, you may remember, we finished looking at chapter 9. and doing so, we watched as the writers spoke of the death of Christ how it was a one-time event and not something that had to be repeated over and over again. And at the same time, we looked in verse number 28 because this wonderful nugget of truth was given. In verse number 28, he said, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. And so I reminded us last week of the wonderful truth and the wonderful doctrine that Jesus Christ is coming again. And it is a wonderful, wonderful thing to be reminded of that this world is not our home and there's just so many truths that we could be reminded of in song. I tried to remind us some last week of uh, some of the things that uh, we can uh, sing about in the midst of dark times and in the midst of dark days. I don't know if it was an encouraging message to you. It was to me. If it wasn't to you, I, I have nothing else to offer. But uh, uh, it was a blessing to be reminded that Jesus Christ is coming again. And uh, if you need that this week, focus on it, all right? If you have a rough week, if you have a rough couple of days, remember this is not it. Jesus Christ is coming again, and one day, one day soon, we will see him face to face. That's a, oh, it's a wonderful thing. This has nothing to do with the sermon tonight. It just came into my head, though, as I was sharing with you this morning that uh, we got the prayer letter from the Winters, all right? Uh, this is an amazing testimony. Uh, she had been struggling. Miss Connie Winter had been struggling. And uh, I don't remember all the details as to how the letter was written, but her body was shutting down. And at one point she woke up, I believe uh, Brother Ron said in the prayer letter, at about 3 o'clock in the morning he woke up and, and she was there, of course, and uh, she was awake. And she said, am I going to die? And he said, yes, you are. And her response was, I'll get to see Jesus. I'm telling you, it's a wonderful, wonderful truth if we get a hold of it. And if we don't get a hold of it, we'll just continue to, I don't know, just plod through life being miserable. But to think that one day we will see him again, either raptured out or risen again, hey, either way we win, all right? It's a good truth, and uh, I hope it encourages you. Tonight I want to begin with a couple of thoughts. They will seem unrelated at first, but there is a, a point I'm going to try to make. And uh, just bear with me through all this. Several years ago, before I began pastoring, I was uh, invited to preach at a church uh, where I knew several of the church members. And after church... Uh, that night and the next morning, uh, we were going to have breakfast with uh, some of those church members that I knew or that uh, we knew. And I asked him as I was having breakfast with him, I said, do I have any distracting mannerisms? Okay, I didn't want to do anything in the pulpit that would be a distraction in the midst of my preaching. And he looked at me, and you have to know this man, 
uh, to fully appreciate this, so you can't fully appreciate it because you don't know him. But he looked at me and his facial expression, his countenance never changed. He was not being silly by any stretch of the imagination. I said, do I have any distracting mannerisms? And he said, Kyle, you have no mannerisms. I thought, well, that was not polite. But he was dead serious. You have no mannerisms. You have no personality in the pulpit whatsoever. And Susie and I, a couple of weeks ago, were talking about my personality uh, several years ago and what I looked like. And I don't like what I looked like several years ago by way of personality. I was the kind of person... And you know this because some of you know what I was like 15, 16 years ago. I was the kind of person that if I wasn't enjoying myself, I didn't try to fake it and make anyone think I was enjoying myself. I was not the kind to just make small talk if I didn't want to make small talk. And and so Susie was talking with me again a couple of weeks ago about how I've changed and how I'm better with interacting with people and and conversing and getting to know people and all that other stuff. And, and so that's good because in my position you need to talk and you need to be friendly and get to know people, things like that. Well, having said all that, here's a second thought that I want us to consider. And I think that many of you can identify with this, okay, in, in one form or another. I do not have a large extended family but whenever you begin thinking about aunts, uncles, cousins, nieces, nephews, etc., it does get somewhat large, okay? We're not one of those crazy large families, but it's certainly big enough that whenever we all get together, it's, it's a good size group, it's a good size setting. So that being true, I would be able to say this of myself in relation to those in my family, that there are some that I truly know nothing about. If you were to say to me, what is their name, I could say to you, well, this is their name. And if they were to say to you, or if you were to say to me, uh, you know, how are they related to you, I might be able to say, well, that's my uncle or aunt or cousin or whatever it is. But if you said something like this, well, where do they live? And so I don't know. You don't know where your cousin lives? I have no idea where my cousin lives. What does your cousin do for a living? I don't know. I don't know, and you know the second verse. I don't care what they do for a living. What are some of their interests? No idea. Do you have anyone in your family like that, that if somebody were to mention their name to you, you would say, you know, I mean, I, I know who they are, and I know that we're related, and, you know, they're from this person and this family, and that's how we're related, but past that, you don't know anything about them? you have anybody like that in your family? You probably do, at least one. At the same time, this would be true of me, and I think it would be true of you, that there are many people in your family that you would say there is a measure of closeness with. You could say that is who they are, and this is how we're related, and this is where they live, and this is where they work, and this is what they do, and I know that they're interested in this, and I know that they like this, and, and so there is a closeness with them, and there is a fondness between you and them, and, and you enjoy that relationship. And, and so it's amazing if you think about it, the exact same family 
and you have no real association with this one, and yet you have a closeness with this person. Now, many things would factor into that, but I want us to think about this truth tonight, that just because we are related does not guarantee a relationship. Just because we are in the same family, just because we have that connection by way of family, that does not guarantee that we enjoy a closeness in our relationship. But if you think about it, this is somewhat helpful and yet somewhat hurtful. If you learn how to talk and you learn how to visit and you develop a personality and you learn how to be friendly and sociable and cordial, you know what you can do? You can fake it. You know what I'm talking about. Hey, hey, how you doing? You ever done something like that? Ever said something like this? Oh, it's so good to see you. What's happening with you now? And they start telling you what's happening. Oh, well, how long have you been there? Oh, is, is this your kid? Oh, that's great. That's wonderful. How old are they now? And as the story unfolds and as the conversation takes place, you might even say things like this. Now, I try not to lie, okay? But, I, you know, you, you might slip and say something like this. We need to get together sometime. And then you say, why did I say that? Call me sometime. No, 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 don't, no, don't call me sometime. Oh, don't, don't, don't. No, I lied. That's not my phone number. Or we say something like this, it was so good to see you. And in the back of our minds, we're thinking, I didn't have to see you to be happy. I don't want to see you and I'll be just fine. You understand what I'm saying? That we can go through the motions because we have personality, we have this, this ability to be, again, sociable with people, and so we have this ability to interact. And we can give off the appearance of a closeness when the closeness really does not exist. Now, again, that can be helpful, but there are other times that it can hurt you because it can be very deceptive in your interactions and in your dealings with that person. See, this is terrible to admit, but it's true that you may be cordial to some people in this church that you don't even care about. I could be cordial to people in this church that I don't even care about. But because we know how to fake the relationship... Everyone would assume that things are as they appear to be. It's kind of interesting how that works if you think about it, is it not? Not too interesting apparently, but it is kind of interesting if you'll think about it. Now, I want us to look tonight in chapter 10 as we do, understand that we're skipping the first 21 verses. Now, why are we skipping the first 21 verses? For this reason that it is very repetitive by way of content and by way of explanation given. 
that is talking about how the law was incapable of producing eternal results. It's talking about the sacrifices and how it was insufficient to meet the spiritual needs of the Jews in their day. It's talking about the work of Christ and how it was a one-time event. It's talking about how Christ is the high priest and his work is finished. And so, again, many things that we've discussed, many things that we've talked about, that for a Jew coming out of Judaism, that would have been very helpful to have it reinforced in their mind over and over again. But since you and I are not coming out of Judaism, we do not need the emphasis as much as they would have. And so tonight we're going to skip down to verse number 22. We're going to look at this verse, and I want us to begin looking in the middle of the verse and where it says in the last part of the verse, rather, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We'll get to the first part of the verse in another few moments, but I just want to begin in the middle part where the writer says, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What does this mean? Well, remember that this is a Jew writing to fellow Jews who are coming out of Judaism, and what is being said is not weird. It's not tricky for them. They would have understood the symbolism here. But the writer speaks of the inner man of the individual because he speaks of the heart of the person. And so he says, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. What is an evil conscience? Well, that would be, best I can tell, what seems to make sense is this. It is the mind, and the fact that it is evil means that it is an ungodly or a sinful approach to one's thinking, which would then result to an ungodly or sinful way of living, because as a person thinks, that is how they are going to live. All right? And so he is speaking of their evil conscience. He is speaking of what would be an ungodly or a sinful thinking, a a sinful and ungodly way of living. And he says that our hearts have been sprinkled from this evil conscience. Now, the heart and the conscience would be intertwined one with another, okay? You cannot separate the two, the heart being the inner man, the conscience also being a part of the inner man. And so we've got the heart of man being addressed, and and the writer said that our heart has been sprinkled from this evil conscience. So what does it mean for something to be sprinkled? It means this, for it to be cleansed or for it to be purified, all right? For it to be cleansed or for it to be purified. So he says of their mind, he says of their heart, which would also then mean of their way of life, that that has been sprinkled or it has been purified, it has been cleansed. He goes on to say in the last part of the verse, and our bodies washed with pure water. So he said to them that our bodies have been washed with pure water. Now, some have said that this is a reference to baptism and that in order to be saved, one must be baptized, but that is not at all the case, okay? That is not at all what the Scripture is suggesting. If you understand the Old Testament law, the Old Testament rituals, and the Old Testament ceremonies, there were times that in order for a person to be cleansed and to be made right with God once again, it was not just a sprinkling or a washing that had to take place. 
but it had to be an entire bathing of one's body in order for them to be purified. And so he says of those who have been saved, he said, not only has your heart been sprinkled, not only has your evil conscience been purified or, or, or cleansed from the sin that is within it, but he said your body has been washed or cleansed as well with pure water. So what he is conveying to these Jews who have come out of the Judaism, who have accepted Christ as their Savior, what he is saying to them is this, is that your heart and your mind and your body, every aspect, every element of you has been cleansed, has been purified, has been made right with God through Jesus Christ. Now, as that was so of the Jews, I'd want to throw this in just so that we understand this. The same would be true of you and I. That as a result of our salvation, our heart, our mind, our bodies, we have been cleansed, we have been purified. The entire work has been done in our lives through Christ as a result of our salvation and our faith in Him. Okay, so here is the writer writing, obviously, to fellow Jews, and he makes these statements in support of what he has already said. So notice in verse number 22 what he declares. He said, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled, etc. All right? So let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. What does it mean when he writes of full assurance in faith? Well, their faith is a reference to their confidence or their trust. What did they place their confidence or their trust in? They had placed it in Jesus Christ. Right? And for a Jew, this was a difficult step to take in faith. Because, again, they were so used to works, they were so used to the religious law, they were so used to the system that had been controlling them for generations. And so now he says, you do this with full assurance or full confidence of faith, So what you do is, is what I'm telling you to do, you do so with full confidence in the trust that you have as a result of your heart being sprinkled and from an evil conscience and your bodies being washed with pure water. So you do not do this, what I'm about to tell you, the writer says, you do not do this based upon yourself and your merit and what you're able to do, but you do so with confidence in faith, knowing that because of your faith in Christ, these things are so that your heart, your mind, your body has been cleansed by Jesus Christ and his blood. So what does he say to do? He says this, let us draw near with a true heart. Let us draw near with a true heart. Now what does it mean Whenever he says, draw near. Well, it means to come close to something. All right? I I want you to get close to something or, in this situation, to someone. He is wanting them, the context would let us know in verse number 21, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart. So we know that the encouragement to the fellow Jews is for them to draw near with a true heart to God through Jesus Christ. 
So the idea is, is I am encouraging you to have a close relationship with God. I don't want you to have a distant relationship with God. That is the plea that is being given. Let us draw near. Now, notice he said in verse 22, let us, which would mean then that this appeal is being given to every saved Jew who is coming out of Judaism. So the offer has been extended now to every saved individual to draw near with the true heart to God with this assurance and this confidence in their faith because they have been cleansed properly. You understand this? The appeal has been given to every Jew, draw near. Now, if the appeal has been given to every Jew to draw near unto God, something which would have been a foreign concept to a Jew in their day, here is what you need to keep in mind. And this is, this is important for the message, okay? Here is what you've got to keep in mind. As a child of God or as a saved individual, they are now a child of God, which means they are now a part of the family of God. And as this appeal has been given to draw near unto him, what that implies is this, is that though it is possible... It is not guaranteed just because you're family. Just because you are saved, just because you have had your heart sprinkled from an evil conscience and your bodies washed with pure water, just because these things have happened, it does not guarantee in that person's life, the writer says, a close relationship with God that is why the appeal has been given. Now let's stop there for just a moment, though we're not Jews, and let's think about this. If you and I have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, we are now a part of the family of God. Amen? Amen. Okay, I want some, uh, some reinforcement on that. We are now a part of the child of God. We are a part of the family of God. So as a result of being a child of God, a part of the family of God, there is now this invitation for you and I to be close to God in our relationship with Him. The invitation and the appeal has been extended, but it does not mean that just because we're children of God that the closeness and the nearness to God is a guarantee. See, a person can be saved. A person can be a child of God. A person can be a believer, but that does not mean that they are walking with God in the way in which they ought. We see this happen all the time, and if we're honest, we can look back to days in our own personal lives where our salvation was never in question, but our closeness with God was certainly in question. Okay, And so this appeal being made to fellow Jews is an appeal that would be made to believers today. 
And it would need to be understood that just because you are saved does not mean that the closeness with God is what it's supposed to be. So on behalf of the writer, I could say to myself and I could say to you tonight, what we need to do more than anything, though it sounds familiar to this morning's message, what we need to do more than anything is have a close personal relationship with God. Well, how is the close relationship with God brought about? How does this happen and how does this take place? Well, seemingly from the words used, it would take place by way of the heart of man lining up with the heart of God. My inner man lining up with who God is, and for lack of better words, His heart or His inner man. So in order for me to have a close relationship with God, then my heart needs to be His heart. His heart needs to be my heart. There needs to be a sameness and a oneness between who I am internally and who God is eternally. You following this? So the appeal is given, draw near to God, and to do so in the heart. But notice what he said. He said, let us draw near with a true heart. With a true heart. What does it mean for the heart to be true? It means for it to be genuine, for it to be sincere, for it to be real. For it to be genuine, for it to be sincere, and for it to be real. Now see, go back to my family for just a moment. Go back to your family for just a moment. There are people that I'm not close to and I'll never be close to them because I don't care about being close to them. And there are others that I am close to because I want to be close to them. My heart is in a sense knit with their heart. And I love them, I care about them, I want what's best for them, and and all that goes with that. But there are people in my family today, I could make them think that I cared about them, but I know in my heart, I don't care, I'm just being nice to you. In my relationship with God... I can, quote-unquote, for lack of better words, do those things that would draw me to the Lord. But just because I am going through the motions to draw near unto Him does not mean that I am doing so with a pure heart. It does not mean that what I am doing is with a genuine heart, with a sincere heart, with a real heart. And so what it it indicates then is this, is that as a person needs to draw near to God, they need to do so with sincerity and not with a feigned approach of sincerity. Somebody says, Brother Kyle, I I think I understand what you're saying, but I'm not exactly sure. All right, if I was with family tonight, extended family tonight, I could walk up to them and I could say, hey, how you doing? 
to whomever it is that I want to be friendly to. And I could say, so where are you going to school now? What are you doing? I, I could do all these things. And Susie and I could leave the family event and me say, they're crazy, they're nuts. I hope they never visit us. In my spiritual life, I can go through all the motions of what would appear to bring me close to God. And as soon as I leave that encounter, that encounter has no impact on my heart in sincerity or in genuineness or in realness. What would bring me close to God? Well, let's just start with the basics. Let's just start with the obvious. Being faithful to the house of God would tend to draw one closer to the heart of God. The church is something that God established. And the church is not just man's idea. The church is something that God established while Christ walked on this earth with his disciples. And so as God established this earth, it only makes sense to a logical, rational being that if I want to draw close to God, then something I would be faithful to is something that he established and that he loves and that he will return for one day. But I can be in the house of God every time the doors are open. And it does not mean that my heart is pure in my desire to draw close to Him. Uh, I mean, we could have church every night for the next six months. And you could be here every night for the next six months. And we could tell everyone how revival has broken out at Grace Baptist Church because the crowds just keep coming and the crowds just keep coming. And though revival may be true for some or many, there could be some who came every night for six months and though they gave off the appearance of drawing near to the Lord, they did not draw near to the Lord by way of a true, genuine, sincere heart. You and I being in church has almost nothing to do with us drawing near to Him if our heart is not right before God. Now I'll say this, if a person's not faithful to the house of God, they're not close to the Lord because you cannot be close to the Lord and far from the church that He established. We can chew on that one and disagree with it, but we'll be wrong. You cannot be out of the church that God established and be close, but we need to understand this clearly. We can be in church, and that doesn't mean we're close. We know the basics of Christianity. Brother Kyle, I read my Bible every day. Who cares? Because I can read my Bible and not do so with a true heart. Just because I read the Bible doesn't mean anything. 
Now, am I going to be close to God without reading the Scripture? Well, of course not. How can you neglect the Word of God and have a close relationship with Him? It's just not going to happen. But at the same time, we've got to remember that just like going to church doesn't make me close to God, neither does reading my Bible make me close to God. So you could have a person here tonight who never reads their Bible, and we know that they're not close to God, and we could have a person who reads their Bible every day, and yet at the end of the week be as far from God as the person who never reads their Bible. But we struggle to remember that. Because we think if we've gone through the day and we read our Bible, if we've gone through the week and we've read our Bible, then therefore I must be close to Him. No, it'd be like me sitting and talking to some of my cousins and just going through the motions. Just because you sat and let them talk to you, and just because we sat and let God talk to us, does not mean that there is a closeness in the relationship. That is why it is of utmost importance that when we go to our time in the Word of God that we do so with a genuine desire to be fed by the Word of God. I don't know about you, but there are times that I struggle. I, I, this week was a rough week. I don't know what it was. I had my time of Bible reading on a couple of occasions this week, and by the time I got done, I, I mean, I, I might as well have been doing cartwheels outside because it was about that profitable. I don't know what the struggle was. I don't know what the issue was. I am glad that I was faithful to do it, but I will tell you this. There was a battle and there was a struggle, and it's, again, good to be faithful. But if my heart is not engaged in this, if my heart is not pure and true and honest and genuine before the Lord, then it's a waste of time. Let's see, Brother Kyle, you've hit church and reading your Bible. Ooh, 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 let me guess. I know what's next. You're right. You do know what's next. What is it? Tithing. No, no, no. It's, you're right. It's, it's prayer. If you don't tithe, you're not right with God. I'll just throw that one in. But that has nothing to do with closeness, all right? Just so you know, some need to hear that if you don't tithe, you're not right with God. But nonetheless, prayer. How can we claim to be close to God and not spend time in prayer? Lord, I'm close. We just never communicate. It's impossible. Lord, you, you know, I mean, we, we bless the food, but, you know, we're tight. No, we're not. It is impossible to go through a week without prayer and claim that your relationship drew closer to God. But just because we can say we prayed does not mean we drew near. The Pharisees were fairly qualified in the area of prayer. They knew how to stand on the street corners and pray with boldness and with clarity and, and with, with great you know, voice inflection, they were, they were good at prayer. And far, far from God. See, it's not just enough for us to pray 
We have to pray with the true, genuine, sincere heart that desires to draw near unto him. I've said this before. Other preachers have said this before. It is not original with me. But I want to remind us of something, that Christianity is more than a checklist. And our relationship with God is more than a checklist. So we've come to church today and we were at prayer meeting, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night. Brother Kyle, I am close. No, you're not. Not if the heart wasn't right. If the heart wasn't pure before the Lord, we didn't draw near to Him. We just faked it and made everyone think that we were serious. Well, Brother Kyle, in the last seven days, I'll have you know, I read my Bible, six of them. Who cares? If the heart wasn't right. If all we're doing the Bible reading for is to say, okay, check, I did that one, okay, now I'm a good Christian because I read my Bible, I'm close. No, 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 that, that's not it. See, in order for us to have a close relationship with Him, we have to have a heart that is desiring to be close to Him. And so many people sitting in churches, ours not excluded, so many people are just going through the checklist and if they did all these things, they must be good. And if they're not doing all these things, well, I need to step it up here a little bit. And they may need to step it up here a little bit. But more than that, they need to get their heart right. Because when the heart is right, they will want to step it up in these areas. We're close to Him. Not when we can answer all the questions. We're close to Him. Not when we know when to go through the motions. We're close to Him when we think like Him. When we speak like Him. When we act like Him. When our private lives match our public appearance. A pure heart, a true heart, a genuine heart matches His heart. And it is evident in how we think and how we speak, how we live and how we act. And this evening, what I want to present to us tonight is this, is the appeal and the invitation has been given to us. Let us draw near. But not in that fake, shallow we know how to make it look like we're close kind of approach, but in genuine closeness with the Lord. That's what the appeal has been for us to have that close relationship with God. I want to ask you something this evening, and please don't amen this. Just think about it. Just ponder it for a moment. I want to ask you, do you have 
genuine closeness with the Lord? Or if you had to be honest, would you have to say something like this? You know what? It's kind of a feigned closeness. It's kind of a, a show closeness. Because if you were to go with me throughout my daily life, here's what you would find. You'd find I struggle to even be faithful to the house of God. Okay, we know there are issues there. You may have to be honest and say, you know, Brother Kyle, I struggle to be in the Word. I struggle to pray. Okay, then we know you've got issues. But I want to remind us tonight that just because you can check those boxes off doesn't mean you're where you're supposed to be in your walk with God. The appeal has been given. It's not guaranteed just because we're saved, just because we're children of God. The appeal has been given. Draw nigh, draw nigh, draw nigh. But it has to be with a pure heart. And let's not fool ourselves. We do not always have a pure heart. You don't, I don't, none of us do. And we have to be on guard and we have to be asking the Lord Lord, help me to have a pure heart so that my heart resembles your heart and it's evident in how I live. And these will be just some, just some of those things that draw me closer to you. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Fathers, we come to you tonight. I pray that you'd help us to take just a moment and ask ourselves if we are genuinely drawing close to you. God, if we're saved, if we have called upon you as our Savior, then we should come to you with full assurance and confidence that our heart and our mind have been cleansed, that our body has been purified and washed. Lord, we should be able to, with some confidence, come to you and draw close to you and draw near to you, but it has to be with a pure heart. I pray that you'd help us tonight to be honest in our, in our answering how close we are to you right now. Lord, some could be very close. Some could be walking with a very sincere and genuine heart, but others tonight may just be going through the motions and giving off the appearance. I pray that you'd speak to hearts tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.